Welcome to Gold Digging, where we dig for nuggets of gold from uh, friends, family, uh, collaborators, and inspirational people to, uh, to Stephen Webster. So uh, my guest today is friend and uh, complete visionary, Nadia Swarovski. Oh, Stephen, it's so great to have this opportunity to talk to you today. I'm so honored, and I think it's really great <laughs> you're doing this and sharing this. I'm looking outside in your garden. There's blossoms and a bumblebee. Yes. So we cracked winter, Absolutely. I, I mean, yeah. that, um, and that shovel is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we met socially. My daughter was asking me on the way here and I, I can only think we met socially first. I know professionally we collaborated with Fashion Rocks. That's yeah. right, exactly. And funny that you asked the question because I was just talking to a mutual friend of ours, Vivian Becker, last week. And we were actually talking about you because she was the one who introduced me to you. And I think it was actually in the late 90s and she kept on talking about Stephen Webster, Stephen Webster, you must meet Stephen Webster and I was envisioning this elderly gentleman uh, goldsmithing away <laughs> and, then, you and then suddenly I met Stephen Webster and this whole other vision appeared. <laughs> That's fun. Actually, you know what's it's funny? Exactly. It's expecting this man to come with a, like, a white coat out the back, maybe slightly bald with a, a magnifying exactly, glass. Exactly, that's right. And so, very conservative. Yeah. But I remember, so Vivian was mentioning you because we were in Bergdorf Goodman and we were looking at the fine jewelry counters and your pieces certainly stood out as being so much more creative and innovative, cutting edge. Thank so you. So did the right thing right to introduce place, us. Right time, yeah. Yes. Uh, that's very interesting, actually, because... Uh, Bergdorf's was so instrumental in our success in America, really? you know, because people went there to look for what was new, yeah? yeah. And uh, and fast forward 20 years, I've got their first ever pop-up lifestyle amazing. shop. Yeah. Fantastic. That's, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah. I have to go immediately. Oh. When did this happen? We opened, uh, I think, three weeks ago. Okay, got it. Make sure you come on Fridays, because every Friday... And I can't believe an American institution has allowed us to do this because I've got all my barware. Every Friday from 5 to 7 p.m. on the jewellery floor, they allow us to serve my signature cocktail, which is a black margarita. That is fun. And people are kind of going there <laughs> to hang out a bit. So it's, That's it's, great. it's neat. And what's Bergdorf's. in the black margarita? It's, um, it's a margarita, basically. But Mark Hicks, my friend, the chef, he said, uh, why don't you use Ibethan black salt? Because right. it makes it okay. look really cool and it would sort of suit you. Right, yeah. So that well, was it. That's really wonderful that Bergdorf Goodman is also part of the equation of moving the paradigm and yeah. really approaching uh, the sales and storytelling element from a completely different point of view. You are a complete visionary on your Amazing. the way that you've kind of cross-pollinated disciplines that are relatively unrelated other than they're a lot to do with design I would mm -hmm. say I mean I'm a jeweler maybe that makes sense that we did a project mm -hmm. but some of you are like, like friends I've met now like Fredrickson and Stellard you know mm -hmm. they're furniture designers and you're always running off names which you can fill in but I think the way you put everybody together, which your strength really. So, uh, well, what made you start, first of all, to think of that? Well, I have to say, for me, you know, the common denominator between the artists in the various different fields are certainly the use of Swarovski crystal 
um, within their mediums. But you know, my education is actually art history. So I've approached uh, my career really from that art, art historian's point of view. Um, I landed my dream job, which was at Gagosian Gallery. And uh, until my father called me up one day and said, what are you doing working for an antique dealer? Come home immediately and we shall go to Israel and buy diamond cutting machines and we'll go to the Czech Republic and buy garnets. And I said, Dad, that's a fantastic idea, but you know, I'm in my dream job here. How rude of you to like not respect that. And then um, people at the Gagosian Gallery didn't appreciate me making a, receiving a private phone call. I love life. While at work. Yeah. And, uh, you know, subsequently I jumped on the next plane and did meet my father. And we did go to Israel and we did look at these diamond cutting machines and so on. So, you know, I had um, crystal making, gemstone cutting always in the back of my mind. Um, I also did study a little bit of GIA. I just did those basic courses. But art was really what drove me. And um, what I just found so fascinating about art is just, it is so much about the personality. So you, you went from so, art gallerist, mm -hmm. antique dealer. <laughs> antique to, dealer. Uh, My father is an engineer from <laughs> Austria, yeah, I must well, emphasize. Following <laughs> your father's footsteps throughout <laughs> Antwerp and, and looking at some, so were they inspirational, those machines? Oh, totally I, inspirational. Yeah. And I have to say, I just really, you know, yes, my father did manage our uh, Swarovski's manufacturing plant for 45 years. Before that, it was his father, and before that, it was his father. So I come from the branch of engineers within Swarovski. So as a child, you know, my sister and I would drag to every single engineering fair, you know, on the weekends, on the museum. Uh, we went to the museums, but not to look at art, but to look at the steam engines. Ah, what was you driving? <laughs> the boiler room. Take me to the boiler room. Yes. So, totally. <laughs> Which is, you know, that's my father's love. And actually, yeah. I didn't realize how... Uh, important and vital it is actually with any product you create that entire manufacturing and engineering behind it yes at the end of the day you might have a beautiful product but there's so much work that actually leads to the beauty of that so um, certainly I always try to connect those kind of dots you know yeah. showing the craftsmanship showing the making of but also showing the personality yeah. um, and I just felt that um, informing a consumer or a customer about that process certainly I was led to a greater appreciation yeah. of the final work. You know, I mean, as a, as a craftsman myself, you know, that wouldn't in any capacity sort of say that the, you know, I didn't join this industry to be a designer. I joined it to be a jeweler. Yeah. And, uh, and I loved the, the engineering, the mechanics. And I think from what you're saying as well and what I know more about, you know, what it's like in the background of a Swarovski plant and, and the incredible amount of technology and, and engineering and levels of skill that, you know, you maybe don't always pick up if you go and see a final product. But, Absolutely. But it's all getting there to, to that place. And I, mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, on a much smaller scale, but when people come to our workshop... And nobody ever leaves a workshop without being amazed, do they? Absolutely. It doesn't matter how famous they are, whatever they are, they, they may or may not be bothered when they first walk in the door. By the time they leave, they're just sold on it. They're amazed, yeah. they're inspired, and they are totally appreciative.
Well, I remember um, when we went to your, like the headquarters where you've got the history. You know, not only the history of the mechanics, but like your history of Swarovski and Hollywood. It's, it's your museum, so, basically, yeah. is it? I... So we have a museum there, and then we also have the archive. Right. The reason why we even built that museum 20 years ago is because we had so many visitors coming ready to photograph the factory. They made such a long trip to get to Austria, so let's make a museum for them. Yeah. So um, at this point today, this museum is the second most visited uh, tourist attraction in Austria, after Schloss Schönbrunn, which is wonderful for us, but well, that's much scary. harder to say. <laughs> exactly, Christmas yeah. World versus Schloss Schönbrunn. No, but what that's our Empress's Palace, you know, and so yeah, we did feel we should really allow some of our clients and customers to see a portion of the manufacturing plant. Mm. So we created this little. Um, side factory called Manufaktur. Uh, hopefully we inspire our uh, collaborators, you know, by showing them a fraction mm. of well, I, manufacturing. I personally, I came, I came with Will I Am actually, I'm not dropping any names, but you know, yeah, on a, uh, on a, on day, on a day trip, on his birthday, that's and why we gave him a cake on the a, way a back. A vegan cake yeah. nonetheless. Oh, no. <laughs> anyway, he was blown away, I was blown away. I mean, he, the archive is one thing and that, and I shouldn't just say it's one thing, it's bloody amazing but then you know you sort of enter your the world where the where the big collaborations with the artists with fashion designers with video makers and you just wow this thing never ends i mean it is a bit like that it's just this one big journey but um and then the new the new place will and i both signed the wall as the first yes the first exactly guests. yeah mean, amazing yeah and, we had and then you really oh, feel later inspired to yeah. go back and you know take your creative team and uh, get started. Stephen, I think you just um, touched upon the first question that I didn't fully answer is um, why so many different subject matters and why so many different arenas, you know, and I have to say if we look back at Swarovski's heritage and history, first of all the first product that Swarovski, my great-great-grandfather Daniel Swarovski created was the jewelry stone mm. which he supplied to the couturier Worth in 1895 in Paris and Worth was actually a British designer based in Paris and he did all the dresses for Queen Victoria. So we have amazing examples of her gowns embroidered in crystal while at the same time she's wearing her diamond jewelry. So it was a really wonderful, um, to me, uh, example of cohabitation of diamonds and crystal within one subject. Um, and then moving on from that kind of, from the clothing industry, we also really um, supplied the jewelry industry because as we really saw these um, shifts in society, we saw different demands. So for example, as the role of the female changed in society, so was the female's need for self-expression. So along came the flapper era, so everything was about the beading. Then came the Art Deco era, and there were so many, um, it was really the geometric shapes that mirrored our crystals that were then very appropriate for jewelry. Then came the style icons like Coco Chanel, Christian Dior, and they were all about, you know, creativity and creation in jewelry or in fashion. And they then at this point worked very closely with my grandfather, Manfred Swarovski, mm. and Christian Dior. Talking like, about the Christian Dior show on the way here, I presume you've got some Swarovski Absolutely. content in and, here. Um, yeah. We're supporting that show. You are. <laughs> I but you the reason that. why is because <laughs> to me it's really the history lesson of Swarovski. You know, and um, to me it's such a wonderful 
part of Swarovski's history to showcase, namely our, our presence within the fashion industry such a long time ago, the late 40s, early mm. 50s. Versus, I think, the general public really just thinks Swarovski makes jewelry, which we didn't start to make until the 80s, actually. Um, and again, that was a direct relationship with my grandfather and Christian Dior. And the jewelry that you see in that exhibition is so stunning. The clothing pieces are so gorgeous and we're so honored and happy to be just that creative ingredient or the sparkling ingredient yeah. within that incredibly delicate and profound um, craftsmanship that we again see through the various different decades in the Dior exhibition. So impressive. And great to see how they've allowed so many different creative directors to express themselves mm. while still having the Dior DNA yeah, in every amazing. period of a different creative director. And I guess that's how you end up with these icons. Absolutely. But so we're just waiting to see how this Dior exhibition will become number one exhibition that the V&A ever had. First it was McQueen, then that was superseded by David Bowie, who exactly as you expressed had such a huge impact in the movie industry and that museum exhibition totally expressed that. I mean, he was a contemporary of the Beatles. His first few performances, he was completely conservative, well, you know. He, he was my biggest influence. I, I, really I saw amazing. him on TV in 1972. I was 14 or something, and... Uh, I thought, I, I want to go to art school. That was That's all. Amazing. I didn't know what that meant. I had no idea. And mm. when I was 15, I went to art school. I didn't even tell my art teacher I was going for an interview because <laughs> I didn't want anyone to tell me I couldn't go. Right. So I went and I got in and I came back and I told my art teacher and he went crazy. But it doesn't matter because I said, well, what does it matter? I'm in. Yeah, anyway, exactly. It was David Bowie was the reason. <laughs> he was crazy because he was yeah. going to tell you it's not going to yeah. work, right? Yeah, well, I didn't want that. Because my careers teacher had told me that that was a good opportunity in the dockyard, and I thought, I don't want to take that one. I want to do this. Oh my so, gosh, that's so amazing. The reason why the Dior story is so important is because I was so inspired. That was the story that inspired me when I was a child. My grandfather used to tell me about working with Christian Dior, and it just evoked all these dreams. And... I was ready to work for Swarovski after university and I was so shocked because there was no jewelry, there was no fashion, there were only the crystal animals. Mm. And I just didn't know what, how to handle that. So I decided not to work at Swarovski and focus on my other art career and study gemology after having studied art history and then... Can I just ask you a question then? That is extraordinary. All of that had taken place. And then by the time you're out, you know, ready to join the workforce, what was represented in the stores, I presume, was the glass animals. Absolutely. So what connected everything to make now Swarovski be on the red carpet and the fashion awards everywhere, whereas before it was... It had been doing that, but maybe no one was talking about well, it. Well, you know, I had my vision... Um, and nobody really shared the, my vision with me. Um, so I chatted with this wonderful lady by the name of Isabella Blow. Excellent. She was yeah. the only one who shared my vision. And the way we met was my father was invented to, invited to a friend's house in the English countryside and sat next to a lady with a rather large hat. 
and called me up the next day. I met this woman. You have to meet her. Get to London immediately. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what happened? He's like, well, I don't know. She just asked me what I did, and I pulled out my crystals from my pocket, and she said, oh, but these are Swarovski crystals. And he's like, well, how do you know that? It turns out, obviously, Isabella Blow was a fashion historian, and this was also at the time, nobody referred to the crystals as Swarovski crystals. They called them paste, strass, diamante. Mm. Nobody called them Swarovski crystals, so I just thought, great, let's just call the product what it is. We put so much effort in creating the crystal, mm. let's educate the world about it. You know, we have such a strict quality control which we put upon ourselves, why don't we talk about that? Um, so in any case, I came to London, I met Isabella, and she introduced me to Philip, Tracy, Julian McDonald, and Lee McQueen. And I almost, it was for me, like finding my grandfather's equivalent to Christian Dior, that was Alexander McQueen for me. You know, even every time we work with people, we just really try to get a sense of how they appreciate the crystal, because if they don't appreciate it, there's no way they can make something beautiful with it. And this young man, Lee McQueen, he just had such an incredible appreciation for materials, you know, and the works he has created, had created already, using leather, wood, plastic, metal, was just so phenomenal. And I thought, well, crystal is just one more material with which he will certainly create magic. Mm. And we invited him to Austria, we supported um, some of his shows. He had no financing whatsoever. And we actually didn't support him with a lot, but it made a difference and to him. But it also made a huge difference to us because the minute he showcased Crystal on the catwalk, guess what? Other designers wanted to do the same thing. And we, had, we felt a huge impact in sales after that. Um, and suddenly the name kind of was out there within the fashion industry. And that's how that whole ball started to roll. Yeah. And so I called Isabella my fairy godmother. And then I thought, well, but I need one more fairy godmother. Now we need to look at the jewelry industry. How can we do that? How can we find the best cutting edge young jewelry designers and see what they can create with our product? And along came Vivian Becker. And she said, oh, you must meet Stephen Webster. <laughs> so that's that. The first uh, time you kind of tasked me to be part of something that was going to be called Fashion Rocks. Yes. And, was... um, and of course, and then invited me to the showroom in, in London. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I suppose until that point, I'm, I'm used, I was used to buying my gemstones or my rough material, whichever mm-hmm. I was buying, but it comes to your place and it's just like, whoa, where are we going to start? You know, there's yeah. drawers after drawers after drawers of, of all these elements. And the first piece... Um, that, that I picked was a chandelier element. I'm looking up there, I can see a very similar piece, Yes, actually. that's right. And then you uh, also had the idea to have it printed, which really kind of also launched us uh, in a new category. Right. Yeah, 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 that's true. But the fact was, though, I, I'd never used something that was a made, mm. you know, it was a created element. So, yeah. you know, I'd been using things that came... Yeah mostly from the ground, mm-hmm. and this wasn't. It came from uh, your, your manufacturing, and, and I think it gave us, uh, apart from being part of that amazing spectacle that was Fashion mm-hmm. Rocks, which mm-hmm. you can tell us about, but it gave me a product that was really looked incredible, mm-hmm. and it was totally affordable. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember at the time, Karen Katz, who was 
in charge at Neiman Marcus. And she said, right, my kids can buy me that for Valentine's and Mother's Day. And she said, right, we're going to stock it. And so they, they bought a lot of them from me. And, and it, so it was my first experience of, uh, of anything like that. Yeah, and uh, we were so proud of that piece because it really showed, once again, the combination of different materials. You chose the black chandelier component. It was made also together with silver. Yeah. And cubic zirconia, or were yeah. those diamonds? No, no, it was cubic zirconia. And everything was a, a Swarovski product, I think, other than the silver. Mm -hmm. But I'm thinking about it now, and the, the metal work was like uh, David Bowie, Aladdin Sane. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Of, uh, That's you know, right. that lightning bolt. Yes. Um, and that, that made. A rock and roll piece mm -hmm. of, of, of fashion jewelry, yeah. I guess. Yeah, and that was yeah. quite an event, wasn't it? it the was one at the Royal Albert Hall, where you mm -hmm. paired up music icons, That's big right. ones mm -hmm. like Beyonce. <laughs> That's right. And designers. Yes. And uh, yeah, and I remember. You know, you, I mean, obviously, you had all the big fashion designers all going out on stage. They showed a fashion show, right? And That's then there right. was there were two, and then the music was provided by like these biggest stars. Starting yeah. with Robbie Williams, he That's was paired right. up with um, Versace. And I mean, I think for me being a jeweler, it was like, wow, I have something in this mix. <laughs> you know, it's always more difficult as piece jewelry to, for it to be, you know, as vision is you know, you say, well look, there's a Versace thing going on. I've got oh there's my necklace somewhere. But uh, it didn't matter. It really didn't matter because it was already the item was a commercial success for me and it it's just shifted yeah. my me and my company's way of thinking about things. Exactly That's like you're amazing. talking about like mixing the materials. Yeah. And, you know, but it was the messaging was so important because it's really all about um, creativity. Um, obviously, fashion design as well as the music uh, industry are such a reflection of the zeitgeist. So it's a very logical combination to have both. And then I have to say there was another charitable element. Um, proceeds of the ticket sales for that evening went to Prince Charles Prince's Trust, yeah. which is all about supporting youth in their creativity. So um, for us, it was just amazing to be involved in that. And it was wonderful that it was at Royal Albert Hall. It was so oh, yeah. it was celebratory. Sumptuous. Yeah. Respectful. Yeah. It was really a truly an amazing celebration of creativity. We, we did another thing that was completely different, but in some ways where it was with the tiara mm -hmm. for the Opera Ball. Mm -hmm. And you asked me, phoned me one morning, I was in bed somewhere, and said, do you fancy doing a tiara? <laughs> Said, for the demi yeah, okay yeah so uh yes and we made I, I can't remember how many it was over 100 about 300 that was quite and, a spectacle oh Seeing that them was all come so out. nice yeah. you know and so we've been supporting the vienna opera ball for the last 50 or since the 50s actually yeah uh, with the crystal and we just thought okay this is a very important uh austrian historic event but how can we make it more relevant to today and we just thought really by the addition of a designer, a contemporary cutting-edge designer, and adding the designer's point of view to the tiara. It was truly empowering yeah. also to those young girls, you know, to yeah. have something by Stephen Webster. Well, and they get to take their tiara home, don't they? That's right. Yeah, yeah. that's really cool. Shall we talk a bit about men's jewellery? Mm -hmm. Because um, I know that I was probably one of the first Jewelry designers that you work with you on a men's only yes. uh, collection. 
Um, and so that collection that was done with Atelier Swarovski. Yeah. And again, it was beautiful because we've had the cufflinks, we had the rings, but then there was were also the more female-related uh, pieces like the necklaces. But again, the stone was an amazing stone you chose that was actually designed by Donatella Versace. Right. It had a crack in it. Yes. And then your design had the beautiful claws grabbing on to the design, so very cutting edge. I do remember mm-hmm. men's jewellery was yet to kind of mm-hmm. feel that, that, there, that there could be a, an edge to it. Right. You know, because you, you had a bit like nothing... Or, <laughs> yeah, exactly. or maybe a quite a conservative thing, or you went like full on bling, mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily connected to design. You know, we, mm-hmm. you've got like the hip hop side. It was obviously lots of jewelry involved in that. Yeah. But it was more about, I suppose, the whole image of being like of wealth of gold of, you know, than than it being particularly design driven. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah. how has that changed for you in terms of your ratio, male female jewelry? Well, it's really shifting now again. Mm-hmm. So we, we had a lot of... I designed the first collection of, of jewellery that I can really think of for men only. Mm-hmm. And, and it was called Rayman. I called it Rayman. And it was all inspired by the texture of stingray skin, which is yeah. lovely and caviar-like, bubbly. Yeah. And it felt quite manly. Yeah. And I think I, it got lots of press... But but very, very few clients <laughs> because I'd not really thought about it because I because I've been a jeweler I figured that you know you put a collection in front of a woman um, and a man will look at it the same as a woman they'll kind of pick from it mm-hmm. but they weren't very good at it mm-hmm. so I decided to go through a real lot which I, in the end I suppose I quite enjoyed but of like literally holding a guy's hand and saying look. This can probably look okay on you. Right. And they're like, really? I mean, you know, they I could feel that there was they wanted to. Yeah. yeah, But were worried, you know, was it gonna question my masculinity? Is it, you know, do can I wear a bracelet? Mm -hmm. There was lots of that. Mm -hmm. And I think that now we'd say that it's more matured. Right. You know, especially with the younger guys who just absolutely know what their style is. Yeah. And and I think that was part of the problem right? yeah. guys didn't quite know where their style fitted if they had one no and if they enjoyed. were allowed one yeah you know, again there's such a strict paradigm for men's clothing or the way men express themselves um through jewelry yeah so restricted first of all it was very easy to sell a piece of jewelry to a rock star i mean easy and and i had a lot of rock mm-hmm. stars from the older schools ozzy osbourne steven tyler elton john all the usual suspects easy then you've got a guy who works in a bank and he wants a bit of that at the weekend. <laughs> yeah. But then he doesn't know which bit because he's not going to wear a rock star ring, probably. But he might want a bracelet or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then when we did the collection with you, I sort of applied my aesthetic to it. But it did lead to this other, another big project we did together, which came first of all for the men's jewellery, which was uh, Skyfall mm-hmm. and Bond. Yeah. Which originally was for men's. Yeah. Didn't work out that way, but... Turns out the women <laughs> really loved it so much, loved the subject matter, and that was amazing. It was really such a wonderful reflection of the style of the movie, bamboo-inspired. Yeah. It had two sides. For yes. the film, we did uh, the serpents, because the, 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 the dress mm-hmm. had that woven exactly. into the back. Yeah. And then it had this sort of thorn... 
bamboo mm-hmm. earring mm-hmm. and we spun off of that exactly uh, a, a collection which is the one you're talking yeah. about it was very successful wasn't mm-hmm. it we sold it in the Swarovski stores and we sold out in about two weeks it yeah. was so popular so beautiful I think again it was it's that democ- democratization of, yeah. of what jewelry can be because it looked and felt as edgy and as glamorous as anything that we make, you know, in a fine jewellery mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. But it was too early for Swarovski to really sell fine jewellery. You know, we've only been, again, working with the trade, selling our gemstones to them, which in the meantime are, you know, totally sustainably sourced. We are a member of the Responsible Jewellery Council who audit us. And um, I think at that time also there was just, and perhaps still now, such a strong association, obviously, of Swarovski and crystal making uh people have been surprised about the created diamonds that we're cutting but now also creating fine jewelry finished jewelry with we just feel now is perhaps the right moment to reintroduce the concept to the market let's let's just go on to our double diamond which is um about created diamonds yeah. and, uh, and a contemporary collection mm-hmm. with um, mm-hmm. recycled gold um, and then these created diamonds, which, okay, you can call them controversial. I don't think they're controversial. I know you don't, but we're in an industry that, that easily finds things controversial, right, I right, suppose. Right. Yeah. Exactly. No, I have to say, I can only say I am so grateful that you have embarked on this project with us. And um, for us, of course, it's been amazing to have your interpretation of the use of the created diamond with that gold. And then also we've added um, rose quartz. You know, when I was thinking about how can we, you know, work with a, with a diamond that's created, but essentially looks identical and is identical to something that a mind a diamond. Mm-hmm. You know, you've, you've got, I think we have to... And we're just starting to see it now, but we're, because that's driven from technology, you're going to start to see things that are, you know, very unique mm-hmm. to a lab-created diamond mm-hmm. that you can't just dig up. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but as we stand, you know, it's, I think it's more about saying, look, you can actually make this in a laboratory. You don't need to dig it out of the ground. That's one thing. Um, and, then, and then I suppose the way you talk about it... Mm-hmm. Because you're generally talking to a younger yeah, crowd. Yeah, absolutely. That does yeah. certainly appre- know so much, first of all, about the trade and perhaps the negative sides of the trade or the mining, which we don't want to talk about, you know. That's not our business. But the, the younger generation is so informed and educated. So this is just uh, giving them another alternative while they're also, in terms of clothing, for example, looking for materials that are sustainably sourced, that have a very low carbon footprint. Um, so I think the jewelry really just goes hand in hand with that. Mm. And I think it's great to have that um, alternative, have that um, option. Well, at the same time, I just really want to emphasize that we're absolutely also for the diamond trade. Um, we are looking to buy diamonds and integrate that in our jewelry as long as these are sourced uh, sustainably and they're traceable which kind of opens up a whole new discussion. I mean, I could say why I've, I feel I've become somewhat a go-to person for certainly, you know, um, this sort of idea of responsibility, sustainability mm-hmm. within an, uh, an industry that 
has and will be scrutinised. It's just going to be. And that's because, you know, whenever you're digging something out of the ground with very high value, people are going to look at that and want to know, OK, how did that how did that end up here, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and the other element is, of course, this, this gold, um, you know, whether it's recycled or, or fair mine, fair mm-hmm. trade. And I was definitely the first jeweller who went with fair trade to go to mm-hmm. the mines mm-hmm. and see what did that mean? You know, what does it mean, like, if fair trade get involved? And, and then, you know, he came back and I, there was no question. I mean, my, I went with my brother that it emotionally kind of had an impact on me. You know, I, I didn't like to see what I was seeing and, and the fact that you couldn't guarantee that, mm-hmm. that the, within the industry some of that gold ends up in your jewellery. So it's like, right, you know, we, we've got to be part of something that's a better story. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I came back, I gave a few talks. I was disappointed that more than people embracing this as something that was just, you know, it was the start of something mm-hmm. that was going to grow. It was more to sort of look at a negativity about supply chains and and things of a fair mind product to say, but this is important that this starts. Mm-hmm. And, there, you know, so there wasn't much uptake on it, mm-hmm. you know, 10 years down the line. It, it's now very much what people talk yeah. about. And in the same way with these, with, a, you know, a lab diamond, you know, people want, they just want to look at things and, and feel that, that their questions can be answered. Yeah. And, and so you're in an industry now that's, going through like massive change absolutely um for the good i think absolutely you know. that in parallel with the fashion industry hopefully also in parallel with the architecture and design industry really um sourcing things that are more sustainable and and i truly believe in human intelligence to always come up with a solution you know if the positive solution isn't there it's just because there was no will to yeah. do it the right way but you know it is so doable to do it right But Stephen, I think it's amazing what you have done with the Waterkeeper. Waterkeeper's Alliance, yes. Alliance, yeah, which is so amazing. And Plastic Oceans. I think Plastic Oceans, for me, has been the biggest impact on me personally feeling Mm -hmm. and then doing something about it. As you know, with the last straw, you bought one for every family member. And I've had a lot of people do that, which has been so brilliant. we, ran, we, we couldn't get any more silver tubing made. That is amazing. <laughs> I was, like, I was yeah, using every manufacturing facility I could find in yeah. Germany, in the States, because people wanted that, your last yeah. straw. It's such a but, wonderful um, concept. The fact that a sustainability and responsibility isn't just something you sort of just do because you feel you should. Mm-hmm. In the end it will affect your bottom line. The Absolutely. business, you know, because, you know, first of all, it's sustainable. But I think you can really find some a client yes. through having something like that. Stella McCartney wanted to be part of it, so she, she took a, a whole bunch to sell through one of her boutiques and just a lot of real positiveness about it, partly because it kind of feels like a bit of fun as well. Yeah. Nadia is currently yeah. just getting her, her uh, last Rick, floor last out. Throw. There we go. How cool. And it's got the silver <laughs> mark. Gorgeous. So you said you're attracting more people because of the sustainability. Well, it, it's, I think, it, you know, I'm very, very happy mm-hmm. to be, you know, considered 
amongst the brands that are, you know, have a positive sort of outlook, if you like, and yeah. and then being being, you know, working closely with them um, with positive luxury, mm-hmm. and you know, and I've seen the evidence myself, you know, from being through the, this gold that I was a bit disappointed with at first, and then doing being asked to do talks. They'd be in like St Barnabas Church in Soho, a bit like an AA meeting, you know, you sort of, uh, there's about eight people and it's 8.30 in the morning and you, you're preaching to the converted, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and then now they do it in venues that hold hundreds of people, hundreds, and the whole of the luxury industry wants to either be on the panel, which is quite interesting, or they're in the audience. Yeah. And that just shows that it's not, it's not around the fringes anymore. Yeah. It's it's very much the conversation. You know, get the student of today to think that way creates a fantastic designer of tomorrow. That's been really great. Thank You're you so great. much. Well, Stephen, thank you. Thank you yeah. for coming to Virginia Water. We've given you a little bit of green and a little yeah. bit of the blossoms of the UK. And we've got and some golden nuggets in our mission to dig right. for gold. Yeah.